We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to DGD After Dark. You know who it is, Robert Reynolds. Got our man Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show on tonight. We are doing a pretty in-depth breakdown of the South Carolina Gamecocks ahead of the 23 season. First things first, Chris, how is it going? Rob, what's going on, man? I tell you what, if I wasn't already fired to talk to you, that intro sure as shit got me ready to run through a brick wall, my man. So I'm happy to join you, man. Excited to talk college football, talk Gamecocks specifically, of course. And we're here, man. Fall camp's getting rolling just over a month away from kickoff. Heck, week zero's just around the corner. So, man, I appreciate you having me on. It's really a, really a blessing to be chatting with you here on this Monday night. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, man, as always. I think, you know, a lot of things ahead of the 23 season, right, are wait to, uh, waiting to be answered. Right there, listen, you know, obviously it's an opponent preview. Uh, week three, man. Week three, you know, y'all, uh, South Carolina comes to Athens, right? So there's a big game there, big amplifications, um, you know, a lot to tell from both sides, right? Georgia's side, we've discussed this ad nauseum. But I kind of want to get into pick your brain about these Gamecocks, man. Um, you know, I, obviously we saw what happened in Columbia last year, uh, but that's a new year, right? Uh, you know, new offensive coordinator, right? Let's start there. Um so Satterfield is gone now, right? And you look at bringing in, um, oh my word, what's his name? Uh, Dabble Loggins. Dabble, yeah. yeah, Loggins. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So you bring him in. What are your expectations for what the offense should look like mm-hmm. uh, this year? So to simply answer it, Rob, I'll say my expectations of what I expected to look like much more of what the last three games of 2022 looked like, and much less of what we saw in the first ten games. Uh, based off everything that Dowell Loggins, Shane Beamer have said, going back to his introductory press conference when he was hired, simplifying, getting the football to the playmakers, not having 15-word play calls and 22 personnel sets, making things easier for your playmakers to simply go out and make plays. Now, of course, Dowell Loggins, he'll have his own wrinkle in it and what he learned from Kendall Bryles over at Arkansas, what he learned in the NFL. Shane Beamer will insert his own wrinkles. Of course, they'll come together as a staff and have some different things. But I tell you this, Rob, I don't think they're reinventing the wheel offensively. And they didn't do that. That's not why they had success in the final three games of 2022. I think simply what happened, again, they had 22 different personnel groupings. They had this 
felt like 500-page playbook. And it really just felt like, again, Rob, as simple as it sounds, they simplified. They got down to say, hey, let's run 12, 15 plays we really, really like. Let's make Spencer Rattler comfortable. Let's let him do his thing, be himself, be a gunslinger, throw the football more vertically down the field, not so much swing pass type of stuff, if you will. And it worked wonders for them. Now, we'll see if that carries over in this season, how that plays out. I think there's a lot of questions, Rob, around the offensive coordinator hire. And I was one, certainly, that has questions. And I think when you look at the resume, and, you know, there's both pros and cons of this hire, right? I mean, again, you you look at his experience at Arkansas, what he learned to Kendall Browse. Guy's an elite recruiter, by the way. You talk to anybody out of Fayetteville, they'll tell you he's one of the best recruiters they've ever had. But the resume is not promising. And this is a guy, Rob, that has never called a play, not just at the SEC level, the Power Five level, at the collegiate level. He's never called a play. Again, that doesn't mean he's not going to be very good at South Carolina. That doesn't mean he's going to be a, he's not going to be a massive upgrade from what Marcus Satterfield was because, number one, Rob, I think it's impossible to be worse than Marcus Satterfield was. But number two, you know, I think just based off the things that they have said, and I think the lessons that Shane Beamer, you know, I think learned from that Marcus Satterfield experience – I think will help him in the long run. So expecting good things from Dowell Loggins, I think there's a lot of optimism around what he brings to the offense. But certainly, Rob, when you've got an offensive coordinator that's maybe got a shoddy resume, has never called a play at the college level, you know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of concern. And I think the only thing, that, you know, only time will tell, you know, what Dowell Loggins' future will hold at South Carolina and exactly what this offense will look like under his tutelage. Well, you know, I think, like, you you brought up a good point, right? Like, with with – Week three last year for Georgia, what we saw last year at week three compared to when, if I'm not mistaken, that was when Kinches was calling the plays, right, against Tennessee and against – Yeah, uh, that, that is the assumption. I mean, it, you know, it, it wasn't anything official. Of course, Shane Beamer never came out and said that that happened. But uh, based off of everything we've heard, again, when you think about the, the reinvention sort of offensively over the Tennessee, Clemson, and Notre Dame games – it's pretty well understood that the play-calling duties or a lot of the offensive game plan was taken off of Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer, Freddie Kitchens, maybe even Justin Stepp, you know, injected their opinions and thoughts into the offensive game plan. So I I'm not going to sit here and say that Marcus Satterfield was just completely shunned for the offensive meeting room and had nothing to do with it, but certainly there was as much intervention and change and outside opinions brought into that Um you know, than there ever had been all season. So I do agree, Freddie Kitchens, which I think that's an underrated loss for South Carolina on the coaching staff. He's now at North Carolina, ironically enough. But I think it was Freddie Kitchens more than likely that was calling those plays. With the well, I, I guess my thing was obviously from a third-party perspective, right, outside of the Georgia game, right, like it was noticeably different, right? It seemed like there was far less conservatism, and it just allowed Spencer Rattler to play, I felt like. Now – what we see this year from South Carolina in week three, it's going to look a lot different than what we saw last year. I, I get that. I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, it's going to be some of the same. It makes no sense. Um, you know, but also, right, with a new year, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see some of that stuff being done again, right? The, the conservative-type play calls on third down, like just watching that game, I, I'm sitting there like, when it was out of reach, right? You're sitting there like, why are they still throwing swing passes? Why are they, you know, why are they being that conservative when you're down three scores? Like, stuff that just doesn't make no sense. And I, and I think Georgia fans kind of have some flashbacks <laughs> from seeing things like that too. Um, you know, but I think this year, right, looking forward, you got Spencer Rattler coming back. That's a huge, huge piece of news for uh, for South Carolina. 
Um, you know, then you look at, right, so you've got him coming back, but you also have some uh, some departures. Uh, kind of give us a feel for what the team's going to look like. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball first. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it going to look like? Who was brought in? Who uh, left the program? Mm-hmm. You know, what can we expect from the personnel standpoint? Well, Rob, I'll start with Spencer Rattler because you made the point. I mean, obviously, anytime you return your starting quarterback and a guy like Spencer Rattler, and he showed you late in the season last year what he's capable of, I mean, that's a huge boost for any football team. You know, in a year in the SEC, which you look around, Rob, of course, Georgia's one of them. There's so many new offensive coordinators and there's so many new quarterbacks. The fact that the Gamecocks at least have one of the two pieces returning, certainly a positive sign this year when you've got the combination of Spencer Rattler at quarterback and Juice Wells on the outside, who I think you could argue is the best returning wide receiver in the SEC. You know, that's a great place to start. You know, they have other key pieces that are coming back from last year they feel good about. But, you know, you know, really, honestly, Rob, you were gutted in the transfer portal. There's just no other way to put it. Jaheim Bell, of course, heads to Florida State. And I think that was one that most of Gamecock Nation probably saw coming after the way the season went. You know, his family was disgruntled on social media, the way that he was being used until he departs. But the Marshawn Lloyd one, Rob, at running back, that was the one that I think really served as the gut punch and one that really took people's eye surprise when he announced that he was deciding to transfer and eventually ended up at Southern Cal. So, you know, it begins with Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells. Those are going to be your go-to guys. Obviously, Xavier Leggett is somebody Gamecock fans, Gamecock Nation is really high on. He returns on the outside. Finished the season really strong last year. Uh, Amarian Brown returns at the wide receiver position as well. You know, to carry on Joyner, a do-it-all player, he now slides to the running back position, which is really where, Rob, the big concerns are for South Carolina when it comes to running the football, and I'll get there. In just a second, you know, you talk about new additions. You added Trey Knox from Arkansas at the tight end position. Joshua Simon from Western Kentucky at tight end as well. That's a guy the coaching staff was really, really high on in the spring. They feel good about him going into the season. They feel like he'll be a household name by seasons. And, I mean, again, you completely revamp the tight end position. You know, at the wide receiver position, you add freshman Nicholas Harbor, Eddie Lewis from Memphis over from the transfer portal. So the Gamecocks are just like every other football team or every other team in college football, really depending on the transfer portal and a bunch of new guys. Shane, you mentioned 38 new faces on this football team, and they wow. expect true freshmen to play at every single position. But I've saved the weakness and the deficiency, and I think, Rob, the biggest question mark for last, if you will, the running game, the running game as a whole. South Carolina, like I mentioned, was gutted by the transfer portal when Marshawn Loy headed to Southern Cal. They really, in my opinion, did not address that need. And that was a swing and a miss, I think, for this coaching staff. And listen, it happens. It is what it is. But you add Mario Anderson from Newberry College at a Division II transfer. Hey, he won the version of the Heisman Trophy at D2. Outside of that, you added no one. Dontavius Braswell, I will say, is a true freshman. He inserts himself now as fall camp begins. Was a four-star signing. Actually, out of the state of Georgia. And they feel like he can compete there as well. But it's going to fall... The Cabrion Joyner is going to be RB1 when this season starts against North Carolina. Now, is it a running back by committee type of deal? Is he RB1? Does he carry the load? Rob, that's yet to be determined. Juju McDowell also in that room as well, and he has a ton of experience and has made big plays for South Carolina. But they are searching for answers in the rushing attack, searching for ways to not be one-dimensional. Oh, by the way, Rob, they're weak at a position on the offensive side that you can't afford to be so. And the reason that Georgia, I think one of the biggest reasons Georgia dominated South Carolina, the line of scrimmage and the offensive line. The Gamecocks returned 50 less starts there than they did a season ago. And that's an offensive line, Rob, that last year 
surrendered 31 sacks upon Spencer Rattler and finished outside of the top 100 in rushing offense. And oh, by the way, you lost Jalen Nichols, your best offensive lineman, most likely, most likely for the year in the spring game. Now, again, they tried to pick up some guys or did pick up some guys, if you will, from Western Illinois, Mercer, Yale, Charlotte, if you will. Um, you know, so we'll see if those transfers can work out for them. They can find their best five starting five. Lonnie Teasley now slides in full time at the offensive line coach spot. But the big thing is this, Rob, you've got the quarterback and the receiver duo. My biggest question and my biggest fear really for South Carolina, can you find balance? Because I don't care what skill guys you have. It's a line of scrimmage league in the SEC. If you can't run the football, you can't stop the run. You can't protect your quarterback. You simply don't have a chance, Rob. So if South Carolina can address that question and answer that question and have just enough balance, well, I think they're going to be really dangerous offensively. But if you get one-dimensional like a Georgia can make you, I think it could be tough sledding at times this season. How much How much pressure is on uh, Spencer Rattler this season to perform? Uh, obviously, with the deficiencies in the running back room and, and some deficiencies there on the offensive line, is there any added pressure for for Spencer since he returned? Uh, I would assume so by default, but I don't know how much. What What are your thoughts? Sam? Well, Robin, I'll just say this: you know, this is the SEC. Everybody has pressure. You know, Spencer Rattler has pressure. Juice Wells has pressure. Davil Loggins has pressure. Shane Beamer has pressure. I mean, it's just SEC football, man. Everybody has pressure. But but certainly when you look at Spencer Rattler, and you know, listen, Rob, you and I both know. The quarterback gets way too much of the credit, and he gets way too much of the blame. And so if things don't work out offensively, folks are going to look to a couple of people. First, they're going to look at Spencer Rattler, and they're going to blame him. Second, they're going to blame Dabble Loggins. It's going to be one of those two people, right? Because, again, the quarterback, the OC, the head coach, they all get too much credit and way too much blame when things go good or bad, if you will. So, you know, I, I think, Rob, certainly there is a fair amount of pressure on Spencer Rattler to – improve on what he did a season ago because, Rob, let's call it for what it is. Through the first 10 games, Spencer Rattler was nothing short of a cataclysmic bust at South Carolina. The last three, he was the best quarterback in college football. So now the question, Rob, is which version of Spencer Rattler do you get and which one do you get more of, if that makes sense? I don't think it's fair, obviously, to expect him to play at a Heisman Trophy level week one to week 13, but there's got to be more consistency. He's got to do a better job of taking care of the football, and it's certainly it's going to be even more maddening this season if you don't get that best version because you know what Spencer Rattler's capable of. Rob, you saw it in the Tennessee game. You saw it in the Clemson game, and I'll say this, Rob. I think the Clemson game last year is a great representation of who and what Spencer Rattler is. He's a gunslinger, man, and at times it's going to lead him to throw a 72-yard touchdown pass and put his shoulder down and, and score a touchdown and make a great throw in the end zone on fourth down and lead you to a win over your arch rival on the road. But other times you're going to throw a – yeah, you're going to throw a pick six. You're going to throw a pick in the end zone. You know, you got to live with some of that bad to get the good that he provides. So, um, you know, I, I think there's immense pressure on Spencer Rattler to improve. I mean, a lot of people, you look at Gamecock fans talking on social media, they'll say, Spencer Rattler didn't come back to go six and six. He didn't come back to go seven and five. He came back to improve on what he did a season ago. Can he do that? We shall see. But certainly as QB1, there is a lot of pressure to have his best collegiate season thus far at South Carolina. So with that being said, along the offense, uh, and obviously we'll talk defense in just a moment, but offensively, what are who? which player are you most 
intrigued or excited about this season? Who who should Gamecock fans, Georgia fans, keep an eye out for from from Chris? What what's your who's your one? The guy? offensive player I'm most intrigued by or excited about. You said correct, Rob. Okay. Yeah. You know that's a tough one because I think there's a, a number of guys that you could pick, but I, I'm gonna go with one. The guy that I'm most excited and intrigued to see, you know, honestly, it's a familiar name, Rob, the Carryon Joiner, because I think he's for the first time truly going to be a focal point of the offense. And the Carryon Joiner, Rob, and this is the greatest compliment and the highest honor I think you can give any college football player, because the Carryon Joiner on a national scale, even a conference-wide scale. He's not going to be remembered for being an All-American or winning the Heisman or being first-team All-SEC. But, Rob, he's one of those players. Georgia has him. Carolina has him. Clemson has him. Everybody has him. He's a folk hero. He's one of those guys. He's a campus legend. He will forever be a legend. It doesn't matter what he does this year, by the way. The Dukes-Mayo Bowl, the selfless way that he has just done whatever the football team has needed, the way he has filled whatever role it is they've asked, and he's performed when doing so – that alone has made him a Gamecock legend. But now to Kebrion Joyner, guess what? He's a focal point in the offense. I mean, this is his opportunity, man, to go from nice role player, nice story, to you're the feature guy, man. Like, go be all SEC. Go rush for 1,000 yards. Go, you know, go make big plays. Go help South Carolina win football games. I am just fascinated. I, I don't know if he's going to be the breakout player necessarily, Rob, but if there's a guy that I'm just, you know, if I had to pick one on offense that I am just most fascinated to watch this season, it is the Kerryon Joiner because I feel like I know what I'm going to get out of Juice Wells. I know what I'm going to get out of Trey Knox. You know, I, I think Xavier Leggett could be a really fun piece to watch on the outside. Of course, Nicholas Harbor, I think, especially by the midway point of the season and even early on. But, you know, really once he grasps the nuances of the wide receiver position, I think that's a guy that's going to be, I mean, that's, most excited I am to watch a freshman's Nick Harbor. But to me, there's just there's no storyline more fascinating than DeCabrion Joyner. After his career, the way it's shaken out, going from quarterback to receiver to running back, and again, going from, hey, nice role player, fun story, to you're the dude, man. Like, you're RB1. We're leaning on you to answer our questions in the running game. Can he do it? And what a poetic ending it would be, Rob, to his career in Garnet and Black if he could turn in his best season yet. Yeah, I see in the comments, uh, Driftwood has Trey Knox, and the stat guy has Nick Harbor. You know, you alluded to this name. I, I'm After what I saw against Tennessee, my eyes are on Juice Wells. Um, you know, you look at, right, because I just think that he has the capability, if given the time for uh, for Spencer Rattler, right, to, to stand in the pocket and deliver passes. I think that's the guy that will stretch the field vertically. I know you mentioned Nick Harbor as well, but, you know, the experience to go with that matters, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to true SEC ball. So, you know, for me personally, I think from, from my, at least from my perspective, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I, I'll be interested to see how, how he does as the guy too on the outside. Um, yeah. Because I think we can, that, that might – play a big role in y'all's success, especially against your bigger opponents. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, Rob, I, I think at this point, Juice Wells still doesn't get the respect he deserves as one of the most lethal playmakers in the SEC. And I mean, he's he's a real dude, man. I mean, he's going to be playing on Sundays. He's going to be taking in the NFL draft. He, he's a real dude on the outside. Now, he needs some help. That's my biggest question mark. Who's number two? 
who's the number two guy who's going to take the pressure off of Juice? Because you know as well as I do, SEC defensive coordinators are good enough. If you got a, if, if you got one pitch, they're going to find a way to take it away. They're going to double him. They're going to bracket him, whatever. They're going to shade his side of the field. So who steps up? Is it a Nick Harbour, the five-star true freshman? Is it a Xavier Leggett? Is it an Eddie Lewis from Memphis? Is it an Amarian Brown? Is it the run game? Is it Trey Knox at tight end? Is it Joshua Simon who surprises? So there are other guys. There are options. Listen, there are playmakers, Rob, on this offensive side of the football. There's plenty of them. South Carolina, there's no excuse, especially, you know, because I, I have to caution myself because I'm like, wait, wasn't I saying the same exact thing last year when they had Jaheim Bell and Marshawn Lloyd and Josh Van and all these other cast of characters, and it didn't work out. But now you have a new voice leading the offense, and it should be more simple. It should be much easier to navigate. Spencer Rattler shouldn't have nearly as as many things to think about. The check with me at the sideline, like he should be able to go out and just play ball. The biggest question is: Can the offensive line be serviceable enough and give enough of a run push to create balance? Because let's not get it twisted, Rob. I mean, I think I think the one thing I'm comfortable in saying. This is going to be a pass-heavy offense. I, South Carolina is not going to be a team for what my money's worth. It ain't gonna, they're not going to line up and beat you with the run game. They're not going to rush for 250 or 300 and shove it down your throat. They're going to pass the football. They're going to put the football in the hands of their best player, which is Spencer Rattler, or their second best player, if you want to say Juice Wells is number one, whatever, one A and one B, right? That's who they want touching it, and you need everybody else to support those two guys. So can the offensive line give him enough time? Can they get enough of a run push? Can Dabble Loggins get creative in the run game and, and, and find ways to sort of, you know, Rob, manufacture a run game? And I think they will be able to do that. Again, I think the offense is going to be much more consistent. And, Rob, my prediction for the season is this. I think Dabble Loggins, listen, I have my question marks about him. The resume is extremely shoddy. And, you know, we'll see long-term how it plays. But this season, he's going to be an upgrade for Marcus Satterfield. Because, again, nobody can be worse. He's going to be an upgrade. I think what folks are going to realize as we get later in the season, though, and end of season, is that, okay, we got the OC. Dabble Loggins is an upgrade. We've got to fix the offensive line. Like, it's a problem. It's a concern. Because there's just, if you have a bad O-line, Rob, hey, Mike Bobo was at South Carolina. He wasn't able to do much of anything. Granted, he did lead a great rushing attack, but the offense still, you know, was suspect, and South Carolina did not have a great record. But the point I'm trying to make is that Hugh Freeze said it at SEC Media Days. Great players make great play callers, right? So, like, if you don't have those big uglies up front, I, I don't care if Steve Spurrier's calling the plays, you're going to struggle. And, of course, they're recruiting and addressing those needs uh, as we speak. But, uh, you know, certainly, I, I, you know, I think that combination of Rattler-Wells, that's what they want to lean on. And, and certainly, to your point, Juice Wells is a guy I think he's not nearly talked about enough when it comes to SEC circles. You know, it's funny. Like it's it's so timeless and cliche, but X's and O's before Jim or Jimmy's and Joe's before X's and O's is a hundred percent accurate. Like it just has to be that way. Uh, before we go to the defense, I do want to give a shout out to our first sponsor, Apotheos. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Apotheos Roastery, uh, located in Kennesaw, Georgia. Um, listen, best coffee on the market, hands down. Cannot tell you otherwise. I will not tell you otherwise. That is the best coffee, hands down. Um, give them a follow on Instagram. Twitter, uh, Instagram is at Apotheos Roastery. Uh, Twitter is Apotheos Coffee. Listen, go to dgdpodcast.com and click the drop down from the shop menu. Get you some coffee today, folks. Get you some coffee today. Get you get you this big bag right here. Get you that big bag right there, folks. Who doesn't love a good cup looking. of Joe, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm about to try uh, me some. Every, mo- every morning. 
every morning. Now, you might not, you're not a dog fan, but uh, use use DGDPodcast.com and click the shop down for the shop menu, right? Get you some Apotheos, every bag of coffee, 20% of the proceeds from each bag of coffee that you get will go to the Classic City Collective because they're the official uh, partner of the Classic City Collective. So keep that in mind, folks. Get you some good coffee. Get you some good coffee. You need it. You need it. Just going to leave that there. Anyways, Chris, I want to transition over to the defense. This is where it gets tricky. Um, You know, South Carolina, you lose Cam Smith in the secondary. You lose Jordan Birch. I think he transferred to Oregon, I believe. Um, Yep. Other than that, though, you know, those are the two names that I'm aware of. But what are the what's the defensive side of the ball looking like for South Carolina uh, looking ahead to the season? So yeah, Rob, we'll start with key losses. I mean, you mentioned first on the outside. I mean, Cam Smith, Darius Rush. <clears throat> excuse me, those are two big time guys. Of course, taken in the NFL draft, and you'll replace those with Marcellus Dion and O'Donnell Fortune. More on that in a second. You know, at the linebacker position, you lose Sherrod Green, Brad Johnson, both uh, you know veteran linebackers on your football team. Although Clayton White. Based off his latest comments, I think he feels pretty optimistic that they're actually addition by subtraction type deal. They're upgrading with some of the guys that will be filling in those spots. Then you mentioned Jordan Birch hits the transfer portal to Oregon. That was another one that was, I mean, really surprising. I mean, the guy played in the bowl game and, you know, a week or so later decides, hey, I'm going to hit the portal, heads out to Oregon. Uh, and then you do lose Gilbert Edmond at the other edge spot. Your two starting edge guys are gone. Gilbert Edmond transfers to Florida State. So, Rob, like I mentioned, you know, Gamecock fans don't like to hear me say it. And listen, South Carolina picked up a lot of valuable pieces in the transfer portal. They picked up some guys that are going to make impacts. But I, I thought South Carolina was one of the losers of the portal. When, when you think of the starters, SEC legitimate starters that they lost, I mean, they got gutted, man. They got gutted. And again, they addressed their needs in a lot of areas, but they got gutted by the transfer portal, no doubt. Either way, you look at the defense. Let, let's start at the back end, Rob, because I normally start on the defensive front. The back end. You return two of the best safeties in the SEC. That's a good place to start. Nick eamon Worry and DQ Smith, both guys last year that were freshman all-SEC players. You feel really, really confident about those two guys in the back end of your defense. I'd expect David Spalding to be at the nickel. He's a former Georgia Southern Eagle, by the way, but uh, played for you last year, has played for the last two years. I think he's a solid player in that secondary. Marcellus Dial at one corner, who played a lot of football for you last year, of course, was actually really good for you. Had a couple of interceptions. I think led the secondary in interceptions. And then O'Donnell Fortune fills in at the other corner spot. Rob, this is a question mark. And listen, folks in Gamecock Nation are giving the benefit of the doubt, as they probably should, to Torian Gray, the defensive backs coach, and the job he has done. Because they have been fantastic in his first two seasons coaching the secondary. Now, Some of that is because the run defense hasn't been great, which we'll get into in just a second. But he's done a great job of taking a guy, again, like a Darius Rush, who just got drafted, who was a receiver a couple of years ago, changed positions. And, you know, a guy that I think most fans thought, okay, this guy will be a nice role player or whatever. But, you know, he was a receiver at one point. What can he do at DB? All Torian Gray did was make him into an NFL guy. So, Torian Gray gets the benefit of the doubt, but that's certainly, especially when you factor in the teams we play in early on with their quarterbacks, these pass-happy offenses. How does the secondary stand up to a guy like Drake May in that UNC offense? How about Georgia, their passing offense with that crop of receivers they have now? How about Mississippi State with Will Rogers? And I know they're not running the air raid, but that dude can still sling it around. Tennessee with Joe Milton. We know what they want to do. So that secondary is going to be tested. 
At the linebacker spot, Rob, I think, again, I probably feel as optimistic about South Carolina's linebackers as I've felt in quite some time because this has been a position at Rob Call for what it is. It has been an eyesore. I mean, they've normally had one guy that's pretty good, whether it be a TJ Brunson or an Ernest Jones or uh, a Sky Moore or a Shaq Wilson or, or, or what have you. But they just top to bottom have not been very good at the linebacker position. I'm not saying they're going to be great this year, but I think you can start to see some signs of this room starting to turn over and flip a little bit with guys like a Grayson Puff Howard, who's a true freshman, who I think has freshman All-SEC written all over him. A guy like Mo Caba, you get back from injury, who went out in week two last year. He did not play against the Georgia Bulldogs because he tore his ACL. That is a huge boost for this linebacker room. Stone Blanton was a guy who was forced into action as a true freshman. He was a former four-star prospect, four-star signee. He should be ready to have a, a, a big-time breakout sophomore campaign. Debo Williams is a guy who's played a lot for you the last couple of years. He's a veteran player there. You pick up Jerron Willis, the old Miss transfer out of the portal as well. So I think the linebacker position, again, while it's not going to be great compared to years past, I do think this is a room and a unit that's ready to take a step forward. And then the defensive front, Rob. This is a, different, a defensive front and a defense as a whole, right? Because a Shane Beamer pointed out at SEC Media Days, it takes all 11. But this is a defensive front and a run defense that has finished outside of the top 11, 11th or worse in the SEC, five consecutive years in rush defense. Last year, you finished 116th, giving up 198 yards per game. And oh, by the way, one of the big losses that I feel like nobody's talking about for some reason you lose Zach Pickens in the middle, a former five-star defensive tackle. He's now gone to the NFL. So you have Boogie Huntley. You have Tonka Hemingway back on the inside. Nick Barrett, TJ Sanders behind them, a couple of guys that need to take steps forward. Elijah Davis, who was a big-time Juco guy, number one in Juco. He is first year in, at South Carolina. They're expecting him to make a big-time impact. You do get Jordan Strawn on the edge back from injury. Again, he went out almost simultaneously as Mo Kaba did in that week two game at Arkansas. So that's going to be a big boost. A guy at Georgia State, who in 2020 led all of college football in sacks. And then you did go to the transfer portal and pick up Jotius Gear from Syracuse, who's actually a South Carolina native. He had three and a half sacks a season ago for the Orange. So, you know, you, you added some guys there. Depth is a concern at multiple of the positions that I just mentioned. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see. I think the defense is going to be about what it was last year. I think the run defense, because the linebacker position is going to be slightly better, could take a small step forward. And I think maybe the secondary takes a slight step back. And so I think when you combine that, I think they're about what they were last year. But there's a lot of questions here, Rob. Call it for what it is. Because, again, you have not been able to stop the run worth a damn. As we were just mentioning, run the football, stop the run. It's a line of scrimmage league. And South Carolina, the reason they haven't competed, again, with a Georgia, the Bulldogs can just run it at will. They can run it down your throat. There are these big physical offensive lines that could push you around, and that's what South Carolina has suffered. And that's honestly, Rob, one of the reasons their pass defense has been so good because teams haven't had to throw the ball on them, and that helps your statistics. Just call it for what it is. So this is a big year for Clayton White, though. I mean, it would not shock me if the defense took a slight step back just because of the question marks, and especially if you're not getting the football off of people and getting the turnovers. If you're not doing that, that could lead to a step back as well. But it's going to be an interesting year for the defense, no doubt, in Columbia. 
You know, I was looking at it, right? You bring in, I think this might be one of your biggest impact players on the defense, and that's Xavier McLeod. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Xavier, Mc, Xavier McLeod's a guy that I think is one of those youngsters that Shane Beamer was alluding to that will play early and often. Desmond Umiazulu is the other guy, big-time four-star guy on the edge. Uh, and, again, edge is a place they need help. I mean, defensive front, they need help. But edge, certainly, I mean, that's what they're addressing right now in recruiting. Xavier McLeod, though, I think a guy – you know, we didn't hear a lot from him in the spring. It was Umiazulu that really stole the headlines. But you look at the guys they're recruiting, man, just length – speed, agility, quickness, what you have to have in the SEC at that position. So I think McLeod's a guy that could certainly help him. And there's there's a lot of youngsters. And I'll tell you this, Rob, because I've mentioned the O-line and the D-line. And, you know, I feel like a broken record. And it's just, you know, it, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about because I feel like you want to talk Gamecocks. Let's talk Rattler. Let's talk this guy. That It's like South Carolina's success this year, It's it really comes down to the line of scrimmage. And I know that's not the most fun thing to talk about, but, like, when you finish outside of the top 100 in both rushing offense and rushing defense, Rob, that's what you have to solve to go to the next level. That's what you have to figure out. If I had to pick one of the two sides, though, I could see the defensive line taking that step forward this year. Also, I didn't mention this, Rob. Travian Robertson, your new defensive line coach, who is a Gamecock legend, was a fantastic player, was on the SEC championship team. Back in 2010, has had a fantastic coaching career at Georgia State, Tulane. He's now at South Carolina. I think that's going to be a perfect fit. I think the Gamecocks upgraded by the departure of Jimmy Lindsey to LSU and adding on Travian Robertson. So I, I, I feel more bullish on the defensive line than I do the offensive line. I think also, like you mentioned, a McLeod, a Umi Azulu, some of the guys they've added. I think there are real athletes and, and, and real, real bodies up there that can help you. I don't know with the offensive line. I, I just don't know that, you know, that's a position that you really need to like. It's almost like a farm system in baseball. Like, you need those guys in there a couple of years before they're ready for the big leagues. More on the defensive line, they can just kind of plug and play, and if you're a great athlete, you can make it work. So, um, I, you know, I think McLeod's certainly a guy that can help Umiazulu another, and they're going to need those young guys to step up if they're going to make strides in that defensive front. Absolutely. I think you look at the, you know, the, the roster, the key additions, key departures – and I want to trans and I want to transition into the schedule, right? Yeah. You know, um, how this how this roster, how these, you know, how the depth and everything will transfer over. So I'm gonna pull up a graphic for uh, the South Carolina schedule for this season. Uh, kind of walk us through that. We'll kind of walk through uh, the schedule. We'll do a break it down by half mm -hmm. first. Um, so you first things first, right? Uh, you know, game day going to Charlotte, right? Uh, so you got a neutral site game against North Carolina. Uh, then you host Furman. Uh, then obviously week three, uh, you come to Athens, right? Which obviously is first SEC game. Looking forward to that. But then you follow it up with a trip to Mississippi State. Uh, new look Mississippi State team. We don't know what that'll look like. Uh, but then you know this game is probably going to be circled on every Vol fans uh, calendar. Uh, trip to uh, Tennessee before your bye week. Um, <laughs> Let's kind of walk through that real fast. Um, yeah, first things first, let's start with North Carolina. Um, how are you feeling ahead of that game? Yeah, Rob, I, I look at it as a, as a tone setter for the 2023 season. And, of course, you're going to hear people say, you know, the schedule's a gauntlet. I mean, what's new when it comes to Gamecocks football? But, you know, many Gamecocks out there, Rob, are labeling that game one, that week one against UNC. Of course, college game day will be there. They're labeling it, though, as the, the most important game of the 2023 season. 
And while it's an important game, Rob, I just disagree because we've seen South Carolina start slow and then get it going late and salvage their season. I mean, look at last year. I mean, South Carolina was abysmal in their first four or five games. You know, it struggled week one against Georgia State, could have lost that game. You know, that game against Arkansas week two, they lost. That was much closer than the score indicated. Georgia happened, of course. I mean, you were tied with Charlotte at, at halftime in week four. So South Carolina was able to overcome that slow start. That being said, Rob, I mean, there, there's no dancing around just how big and how important that game is to, you know, I, I think, Rob, and I was actually talking about this today on our show, you win that game, and it's I feel like you have more to lose almost than you have to gain, and I hate saying that because Gamecock fans were expecting to win that football game. And I haven't seen, I've maybe heard one person pick North Carolina to win. Everyone is going with South Carolina in that football game. Heck, I'm picking the Gamecocks as well. But it's one that if you're going to reach your goals, if you're going to hit eight wins and match last year's win total, God forbid you're going to exceed that and finish nine and three or better and finish second in the East. That feels like, Rob, a game that you have to have. Because all of a sudden, if you lose it, I think you really reset expectations. Like, I think you have to look at it as, okay, how do we get to seven and five? Let's just make a bowl game. And I, and I you know, I hate to have that drastic of, because I, I've got South Carolina, of course, beating UNC and going seven and five. And I think it's a game that, hey, you could lose it. and But it's just one of your 50-50 games. It's one of your swing games. And I feel like folks will look at that and say, if you can't beat North Carolina, it's only going to get tougher down the stretch. Also, you just think about the fact that it's a regional rivalry. It's a natural rivalry. These schools recruit against each other. And you're on the national stage, right? I mean, a primetime kick, college game days there. You want to put on a good show. So, you know, certainly, Rob, I look at that game as a major tone setter for South Carolina season. It's not the most important game, and the Gamecock season isn't over if they lose, but no doubt it is a major tone setter for this year. You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I was about to say you kind of have to have you know have that statement game to start the season off. It, I mean, look no further than last year with us, man. We had to set the tone against Oregon. Um, you know, and, and really, and Rob, it's not most. to cut you off, Rob, but it's a fascinating matchup too when you look at how similar the teams are. You know, both have big time quarterbacks with NFL aspirations. No defense, on, no defense right? The defenses, but you know, I think both teams have question marks at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Both teams have new offensive coordinators. I mean, there, there's it, it's going to be a fascinating matchup for sure. And um, you know, I, I think I feel confident that South Carolina can and will come out on top. But I mean, it's week one too, man. You never know. It's just unpredictable because everybody's basing what they feel like these teams will look like. You know, they're basing it off of the end of last year, and you and I both know, like, that just doesn't apply, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter that Carolina beat Tennessee and beat Clemson and that North Carolina lost their last four in a row. It's a brand-new season. So we really have no idea. And I thought somebody, one of my good friends, Braden Gall, uh, who does a fantastic job with his show, and, you know, he made a great point on his show one time a couple of weeks ago that just said, we've never known less about these football teams than we do now because of the transfer portal and the way these rosters are changing. We think we know, but, dude, with as much turnover, I mean, again, there's 38 new players on South Carolina's roster. We have no idea how those pieces are all going to come together and click. So it's going to be a fascinating game in Charlotte for sure. I mean, you could be like Dion and have basically 90% of your <laughs> roster from the portal, but yeah. neither here nor there. Um, but I do want – so obviously after uh, after North Carolina, right, you got Furman, trip to Georgia, Mississippi State, then a trip to Neyland. Listen, those three through five is yeah. going to be rough, 
right? I, I, you just have to look at that right there. Uh, but then, you know, I feel like the time is right for the bye week, right? Because you get the gauntlet out of the way. You go to Georgia. You go to Neyland, right? Uh, two of your hardest games on the schedule potentially are, are early in the season. So, you know, there's some pros. There's some cons to that. Um, but first things first, with that right there, I'll pull the graphic back up. Um, you know, I think the X factor here is that trip to Tennessee, right? Um Listen, what, what y'all did it, what y'all did to them last season in Williams Bryce. I thank y'all for that. <laughs> uh, it was a humbling moment for them, and I applaud that. So I just want to give you. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm gonna. Yeah, that. Rob, I'm no, absolutely. That was a hell of a night, man. I've actually got the. Uh, the, uh, the the piece of the shrub from Willie B enshrined over here, actually framed in the studio. But I'm going to group Florida in this first half of the schedule because I, I, I want to point something out with this because you mentioned, you know, week two against Furman, not your typical FCS game. It's the team. Priest is a top 10 FCS. Gamecocks will take care of business, though. That week three game at Georgia, which I'm sure we're going to get into more later in the show, um, you know, it'll be somewhat of a measuring stick game in the sense of I think South Carolina will very much so – you know, identify how far they have to go. Georgia's got a new quarterback replacing both tackles. Mike Bobo at OC. There are some things that Georgia is going to be learning about their football team as well. But, you know, I think the dogs obviously will be at minimum, minimum a three-touchdown favorite on their home field. But then you get into that Mississippi State game at Williams-Brice Stadium. That's one of those 50-50 swing games you have to have. If Let's say you're going to match last year's win total. I've actually got that right now, Rob as a loss, which was not a popular pick amongst Gamecock fans. And it shocked me how I was like, do you really feel like this is a game South Carolina can't lose? How long have you been watching this team play? It's a very winnable game, don't get me wrong. But South Carolina has been known for slow starts under Shane Beamer. Either way, that's a huge game at Willie B. That Tennessee game, Rob, like you mentioned, that to me is the biggest swing game of this season, the sense that, you know, if South Carolina loses that game, I mean, so what? Everybody's expecting them to lose, right? That we've heard it all offseason. Tennessee's got that game circled. I mean, ball fans want to beat Carolina by 100. They don't want to win the game. They want to beat them by 100. So if South South Carolina loses, so be it. If the Gamecocks win that game, though, Rob, outside of what it would mean for Carolina, Tennessee, and, you know, Shane Bieber getting a leg up on Josh Heupel, I think all of a sudden – that's what brings nine wins into the picture. You know, assuming that nothing, that. assuming nothing's going haywire in the first couple of games, right? Let's say, let's say you you take care of business against UNC. You take, you know, let, let's say you start three and one, and all of a sudden you go to Rocky Top, and now you're mm-hmm. four and one. I think all of a sudden you start to look at this right. You, that point. you start to look yeah. at this season a lot yeah. differently. Realistically, though, that's going to be a really tough challenge. And I tell you this, Rob, of all the swing games I had listed that's the one that I feel is least likely a W because I I just, after what happened last year, Tennessee with revenge on the mind, they've had that game circled all offseason. I feel like if there's one game that Tennessee shows up and plays a complete football game, it's going to be that one. I, I, I just, until I'm proven wrong, I feel like that's going to be the one. You mentioned the bye week as well that comes after. That's important. South Carolina is 15-2 and two off of the bye week since 2009. And they bring up Florida and they too. take on the Florida Gators, which is the sixth ball game. And I want to group that with the first half, Rob, because this okay. I think yeah. that game against Florida is the most important game of South Carolina's 2023 season. When you fact is, is it the hinge point? It, 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 to me, it is. Like I, I just, it okay. is a game 
You know, when I look at the most important, here's why I label it the most important, Rob. When I label a game most important, it is a game that I feel for South Carolina to reach the full potential of what their season can be, they have to win it. If you lose to Florida, you're not going to have a good season. I, I, I just don't see it. Like, that is going to be a really detrimental loss to your hopes, your dreams, and your expectations of the 2023 season, especially when you factor in what Florida is probably going to be this year. With Graham Mertz as their starting quarterback, they've got two nice running backs with, with Montrell Johnson and the other kid, but they've got issues all over the field. So I think South Carolina has to have that one. The key is this for me, Rob. Three and three are better through the first six. And I know Gamecock fans will scoff. We should be at minimum four and two, more like five and one. You have to recognize how difficult the schedule is. It is a gauntlet. If you it, it's it's not the opponents, it's how they line up too. Right. That that's matters. and that's and that's well. what you have to factor in. People don't think about that. Like that's one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I pick South Carolina to lose to Mississippi State because I look at that game. It's the week after the Georgia game. The Gamecocks are beat up. You know, it smells like a noon game at Williams Bryce against Mississippi State. You know, most of Gamecock nations thinking this is just going to be a walk in the park. You know, R.I.P. Mike Leach. He's no longer with them, and Mississippi State's going to fall off a cliff. I think Mississippi State, Rob, and this is kind of a side note, I think State's going to be a lot better than people realize. I well, think when you got a quarterback get, like Will Rogers. From the air raid. Yeah. You get away from the air raid and you see Will Rogers in more of a pro-style offense. The dude can sling the ball comfortably. But now you utilize the running backs with him and you open it up. The, the, you know what I mean? It's more of a balance. It's not pure air raid. I, I think that it forces teams to look at Mississippi State differently by default. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. you know, but then again, you know, to your point, right? Like, I think South Carolina should handle Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, however, comma, even at home, you know, you still have to win the line of scrimmage on both sides. And uh, you know, to your point earlier, if you don't do that, any SEC team can run on you. You know what I mean? So, you know, that is the thing. That, that intrigues me most about how your games line up most of the season, to be honest, yeah. because you look at Florida, Florida strength is going to be their run game. You look at Georgia. Well, Georgia, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Georgia right now, actually. Georgia's more air pat, you know, more, I think we see us hit a lot more air, uh, go through the air. But even then, I think the main focus, and I feel like this game's going to get nasty. And it's because of just how experienced our offensive line is and exploiting the defensive line. I think that is going to be the the telltale sign for how that game goes. I'm not going to predict a score or nothing like yeah. that right now by any means. But just knowing how deep Georgia is at the offensive line, it kind of doesn't matter what running back you run with, whichever one you want to choose. But even then, you've got Carson Beck. Even when Carson Beck came in last season, was it was intriguing to watch because he looked comfortable because of the pass rush or lack thereof, excuse me, um, for South Carolina to get involved in this game early. You have to get the pass rush to him. You have to get to him and make him uncomfortable. Um, what I, I, I doubt, I don't know if you saw our uh, spring game, our defensive line was struggling to get to them, mm -hmm. and and that and again that's a testament to the offensive line, very experienced. So, I'm looking at it, and it's like if 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 South Carolina does not get to 
you know, Carson Beck, it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Well, Rob, you you you've seen my predictions. You know I'm not somebody who's about to come on this show and and give you some long speech of why South Carolina is going to do the unthinkable and shot the college ball world. I mean, it's very well noted. I picked Georgia to beat South Carolina by a final score of 41 to 10. I I, I don't think the Gamecocks are there yet, man. I know they're not yet. yet. I, I know they're not. Now, listen, it's college football. Crazy things can happen. You know, could it be a yeah. situation in Athens where Georgia? You know, Carson Beck, for whatever reason, isn't the guy that Georgia fans think he's going to be and turns the football over. And, you know, it's just one of those weird days. Spencer Rattler, right? I mean, I think he showed last year if he's on to that degree, he can beat anybody. But the stars would literally have to align. And at the end of the day – It has eerie 2019 vibes. It, w- it would have to be. But I, I think Georgia is is so much better than they were back in 2019. I mean, just worlds better than they were. Kirby's a – I'll tell you right now, offensively, it's yeah. night, it's light years different. Yeah. I mean, Georgia – dude, Georgia fans along with me will still throw up yeah. when we hear the name James Coley. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah. Um, and Kirby Smart you – know, Kirby Smart is worlds better of a head coach than he was in 2019. But, again, yeah. just to echo your points, man, I, I think Georgia – because of what they have in the line of scrimmage, I mean, you also factor in, again, the wide receiver position. You add Ra-Ra Thomas, you have Led McConkey back. That's probably the best – one of the best deep, group of wide receivers Georgia's ever had. I mean, ever. Deepest. Yeah. Deepest, yeah. yeah. for sure. 100% deepest, yeah. The, yeah. The deep, you have Dominic Lovett, too, right? You guys picked him up as well, we got, is that right? So, I, so you got Dominic Lovett, Marcus Osmond, Jack Saint. Yeah. You've got Lad McConkey, Ra-Ra Thomas. You've got Arian Smith, uh, Anthony Evans. You've got – Dylan Bell, Denylon Morissette. The reason why I said Dylan Bell and Denylon Morissette is Carson Beck had a good chemistry with them last year, transferring over into the spring as well. Um, so you, you bring all those guys on top of Brock Bowers and Oscar Delb. It, yeah. It's just stupid. Well, and again, you can, you can boil down that South Carolina-Georgia game as simply as this. It's a line of scrimmage game, and I think South Carolina will simply be outmanned. I went as far as to say on our show that <laughs> – I said that this will be a game that the question is not, can South Carolina hang with Georgia, beat Georgia? My question, Rob, how many times will South Carolina cross the 50? I, I, I mean, I'm just – and I, Bring it back to 2011. And, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't mean to sound like a, a pessimist, defeated, doom and gloom Gamecock, but I'm just keeping it real, man. I, I don't know how South Carolina is going to move the ball offensively when they won't be able to generate any sort of, 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 of rushing attack. My biggest thing is get out of that game healthy. Like, do not get Spencer Rattler hurt. You Fair. you ask too much of him, that Georgia pass rush, they're going to pin their ears back. And, I mean, my goodness, man, the last thing you need to do is lose the ball game and lose your starting quarterback. So, well, I mean, you, know, you, you would have Lenore Sellers, too. I think that's going to be a – in the future, right. that dude's going to be yeah. good. Um, but yeah, but you, you talk about this, and, and for any South Carolina fans, listen, I just want to kind of give you an idea on something. What you saw defensively from Georgia – um, while we did lose some more guys to the draft, a lot of our key guys in the key positions came back with another year of experience. So, w- when Chris, when you bring up passing the 50, I'm not going to say that just as much. Right? I felt like that's a little bit too comfortable or too uncomfortable, too deep for me. I will say, though, will, you know, how, how well can you move the ball? Because you're going to have to find a way to get that joiner the ball. If you can't run between the tackles, you, you've seen this. Georgia's predicated defensively to stop the run, period. That's what we do. That's what Georgia does. Force you to become one-dimensional. You attested to this earlier. But the thing about it is, 
I think if you're Daryl Loggins, you have to be creative. And I'm not talking about just like hitting home runs, right? Like even Bobo at South Carolina, you had Bobo at South Carolina had to hit home run after home run after home run just to score against Georgia, even back then. Nowadays, it's light years different. So I think you have to look at short short screen and be able to block. And it's it's not even offensive line versus defensive line. I think it's cornerbacks versus right secondary or receivers versus secondary. And how and how if, by if the you, way, Rob, how have we gone this far talking Georgia, South Carolina, without mentioning? By the way, they got a guy named Brock Bowers who's pretty difficult to defend, and uh, yeah. he bullied the Gamecocks last year. So. That'll be a you know, test. Yeah. I see. I think another thing, though, and, and this is where you talk about with Mokaba and, and, you know, and, and those key additions in the linebackers. I'm not going to guarantee that they have better time covering. Mm-hmm. I think there can be some things to take away from last year that could help. Brock Bowers is just a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a unicorn. Um, you know, if you're going to go back to our spring game here for a second, um, Carson Beck threw a perfect, and I mean perfect pass. Couldn't have been anywhere else. Um, Darius Smith, one of our edge guys, like 6'6", 240, 250. Stride for stride with Brock Bowers. And this is why I think offensively, Georgia's going to be lighting people up. But the, the touch that he had on that pass, and Brock Bowers made it look effortless. And it's the tightest of windows, Right. But you also, I don't know if you saw in the, what's it, uh, Kent State game, Jet sweep to Brock Bowers for a 75-yard touchdown. <laughs> like, you yeah. don't do these things with a normal tight end. You just don't. Now, I will say, you don't have to worry about Darnell Washington. And Darnell Washington, for your defensive line and your ends, uh, was a nightmare. I mean, 6'7", 280, or 6'7", 270, excuse me. You know, it could you go out and catch passes, but he was just a unicorn as well, just a tall one. Um, you know, obviously we can talk about South Carolina, Georgia, all day, uh, but I do kind of want to get into the back half of of the uh, the Gamecock schedule. Uh, you know, you talked about you grouping the the Florida game, right? So we'll bring that back to it. So pulling the graphic back up, you go to Florida. Or no, sorry, yeah, Florida, Florida comes yeah. to Florida comes to home. Excuse me. So Florida goes to Willie B. But then you have back-to-back road trips to Como and College Station, and I think that's where it gets tricky there. Uh, but the, you know, but then after those two, you 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 host Jacksonville State. So it's literally the the Yard Pimp Classic. Um, then you got Vanderbilt and Kentucky at home before going up to Clemson, if I'm not mistaken. So Clemson, Clemson is actually at Willie B this year. So the Gamecocks – Oh, wow. The game, no, you're good. The Gamecocks Sorry. close out, which I know it's weird, by the way. I don't know how many teams in college football close out with four straight home games. But, you know, you mentioned that second half, Rob, you know, to start with back-to-back road trips to Columbia, Missouri, and Texas A&M. The, the two longest road trips, by the way, that you have, which whoever made that in the schedule, I have no idea what they were thinking, but – uh, it's also the folks that created the SEC where we still have yet to go play College Station. <laughs> right. So, right. there's that. Yeah, but, but, I mean, that game, you know, kicking off the second half, you know, that game against Mizzou, I mean, that's one of those pivotal 50-50 swing games, man, where South Carolina has lost four straight to the Missouri Tigers. That is just – that's a game you've got to find a way to reverse that trend, get that monkey off your back, if you will. And, you know, Gamecock fans, they don't understand how it's possible. You know, they look at Mizzou as below them. There's no way we should ever lose to Mizzou. And every single year – Eli Drinkwitz and the Missouri Tigers 
they're beating up on the Gamecock. So that's a huge game. To- hey, hey, Gamecock fans. Hey, hey, look at us last year. <laughs> Dude, hey, yeah. When they want to come play, they can play. Yeah, you got to put some respect on Mizzou every now and then, for sure. I mean, you got to put some respect on that program. But, you know, you go to Texas a in the following week, one of the toughest places to play in college football. You snapped that streak last year, but you've still never won at Kyle Field. And I think, Rob, for – uh, for everything it's worth, I, I think Texas A&M is going to be much improved, uh, for sure. Off that five and seven, I think that you know you look at it. They, they have to. Improve. Yeah, you look at it. You look at that. The question roster. is their offense with with Petrino. Yeah, I think that's that's. I know you probably know this too. It's the it's the one component of that team that's going to drive or yeah. crash that whole vehicle. Yeah, I mean, you you, you you look at that. I mean, you, you look at that roster, man. The way they recruited, that should be at worst. An eight-win team this season, so I they're loaded. They're loaded with talent, but again, I think it's a culture thing, man. That culture just they, they there was no reason for them to just collapse the way they did. Yeah, especially with the talent. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, so, you know, we heard the rumors that they were smoking weed in the locker room at Williams Bryce Stadium before the game started. I heard about so, that. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a mess, but I, I think they'll rebound. I think Texas A and M. That'll be a really tough game for South Carolina. I've, I've got Texas A&M winning the football game. I actually got the Gamecocks snapping the streak against Mizzou the week prior because I think just at some point streaks end, and South Carolina was really good at that season ago, and I, I feel like it's a game where South Carolina will finally do so. And then again, you close out with those four straight home games. Again, this is why it's so important to survive the front half of that schedule because things do ease up in the back half, right? You have the Missouris of the world. You get, you know, uh, Jacksonville State at home, Vanderbilt at home, Kentucky at home. And, of course, Jacksonville State will be a W. Vanderbilt, you've won 14 straight. That streak will be snapped at some point. It ain't going to be there. Don't sleep, don't sleep on Vanderbilt. Right. I, I, tell you I right like now, Clark tell you Lee that. a lot. I'm a huge Clark Lee guy. Well, huge AJ Clark Swan. Yeah. I think AJ Swan. Yeah. Like, let's just say this. For the record, I think you look at South Carolina winning that game. But – do not underestimate what Clark Lee has with AJ Swan. I, I think you get you utilize him, and I think you could surprise them. Listen, they did it last year. They beat Florida. They could easily do it again. Yeah. Well, you know, again, to your point, Vandy's going to beat South Carolina at some point. I don't know that it's this year at Williams Bryce. I think Carolina can get the job done there. And then you close out with Kentucky and Clemson. And listen, I, I think Kentucky's going to be a really good team this year. I think that's a big I don't. You, you don't? Okay. So, I, I, I think Kentucky – I think they just lost too much, though, Chris. Leaving, and the reason why I say that is – Leaving like, SEC okay. media days, they were one of my stock up teams. When I looked at them, what they've added through the portal on the offensive line, that crop of wide receivers, Devin Leary at quarterback, Liam Cohen at OC. Defensively, they've got some questions. And, and they've also got to figure it out on the offensive line. I think Kentucky's going to hover around an eight or maybe even a nine-win team this year. That's I just – I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm drinking too much Big Blue Kool-Aid, just, but – If you look at how they're predicated to run, like they run the ball, right? You you lose you lose Chris Rodriguez. You, you lose but, the offensive but, pieces. But you pick up Ray Davis, Ray Davis from Vandy and Demi Sumo Karnbay from NC State. So – I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm just not sold on Kentucky this year. Yeah. I, 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 this year they I'm, are very heavily reliant on the pieces they picked up in the portal have got to pop. If, if those things happen, if those guys pan out, Kentucky, I think, is going to be a force. To your point, though, it's a <clears> lot of moving pieces. Well, you've also got Devin Leary coming off the injury. How will he come off of it, too, yeah. right? Like, you expect him to be get better throughout, you know, throughout the season, but how much better, right? Is I feel like it's another Will Levis situation that – Maybe even like a 
poor man's great Will Levis. Maybe I don't. Right. We'll see, right? I'm just I'm just holding my reservations with with Kentucky. Fair enough. Um, and that's know, a game. Nah. That's a game at Willie B. That you know you feel like late in the season, South Carolina's playing the best football. They should win. Then of course you close out, you know, with the Clemson Tigers and you snap that streak last year. And you know I think Gamecock fans are very confident the Gamecocks can win that game. Of course, and get them on your home field. You got Spencer Rattler back yet again. So and to make it two in a row against them would be really big time in the sense of turning that rivalry. So any anytime you're at Williams Bryce Stadium late in the season, final four at home, you feel really, really, really good about your chances. So South Carolina should be set up, Rob, to have a big finish to the season yet again. Speaking of finish, it wouldn't be a Gamecocks preview if we don't talk about Carolina Clemson. Um I'm gonna let you take this one away. Well, we saw what happened last season, kind of come from behind, hold them off, right? In their stadium, by the way, so they had to rush the Paul after losing. Um, just beautiful thing to watch. People cry, run to the Paul still. But nonetheless, um, I digress. Moving forward, you got a new year at Willie B. You got Kay Klubnik uh, looking to be the guy at Clemson. Uh, what are your What are your initial thoughts, observations, takeaways from that game ahead of the? <clears throat> excuse me. Obviously, way too early, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's going to be a wildly competitive game. I, I think for, you know, la- last year, I think there was a lot of hype and hoopla, but I mean, South Carolina was still a 16-point underdog the week of that game. I think for the first time in a long time, we're going to go into game week, and that's going to be damn near a coin flip. I mean, I, in, in the sense of like, you know, it might be a touchdown favorite Clemson or four and a half, five and a half, whatever the spread is, but I think it'll be much, much closer than years past. And I think South Carolina now has a newfound confidence taking on the Clemson Tigers. With that being said, I, I'm high on Garrett Riley. I, I think Clemson hit a home run with their offensive coordinator. I, I think that he and Kate Klubnick are going to do really well. I mean, they're going to tear up the ACC, right? That's not a problem. Um, I think Clemson – Yeah, they, they absolutely should. I mean, Clemson's got two of the best running backs in college football and Moffa and Shipley. they got four or five offensive linemen back. If they can get any sort of production, which it's a big question out of their wide receiver position with Bo Collins, Antonio Williams – um, you know, I think their offense should be really productive. Again, my biggest thing in that game is this. And defensively, of course, they return eight starters. They got a pair of the best. They got some nasty freshmen coming in. Yes, that Peter too. Woods yes, and- yes, that too. And I mean, they, they, they're going to have one of the best defenses in college football. But, you know, I've got Clemson edging out South Carolina right now. And the reason is this, Rob. I think it's going to be a really competitive back and forth game. Number one, does Clemson allow South Carolina to dictate that game on special teams yet again. I I, I just can't I, – I, I don't believe that they do. I, I think Clemson's number one objective will be to stop special teams. Number two, Clemson's quarterback last year, DJ Uingalele, went eight for 29 in that ball game against South Carolina. That's not going to happen again. It, it's, I was going to say with Klubnik, I don't see it's that just, really. I mean, it could, no, it's, but I don't It's not going to happen again. They're going to be much, much better offensively. And if you go back to last year, one of the reasons, Rob, I was so confident South Carolina would beat Clemson is I felt confident for the first time since 2013, the Gamecocks had the better quarterback, and it wasn't even close with Spencer Rattler versus DJU. I think Cade Klubnik gives them enough, pushes Clemson ahead of South Carolina, who still to right now has a more talented ras- roster than the Gamecocks, top to bottom. But I think it'll be a really competitive back-and-forth game. Would not shock me at all if South Carolina got the dub in that one. You know, I look at it this way, too. Uh, and I, I went on I went on record for a bold prediction. I don't know if it'll happen. And if, if I'm wrong, whatever. 
Watch out for Duke to upset Clemson in week one because I, I genuinely don't think people value what Mike Elko did at Duke in year one. Now, obviously, we know that people are going to have kind of a right, like a magnifying glass on him a little bit now. But Riley Leonard could torch some folks if, if things get going the right way. I'm not saying it will, but I'll go ahead and make the prediction. Fuck it. I'll do it. Whatever. Sure. Week one, Clemson's trying to break in stuff. And it happens because they go to Durham. And even if it might not be the hardest place to play, yeah, listen, they got a brand new quarterback. Didn't do so hot against Tennessee. And that defense is trash. Hey, from your lips to God's ears, Rob, I'd love to see nothing more to cap off week one at college football. Jesus. If it happens, I'm just saying people are going to come back to this. If (laughs) if there's a clip, if if somebody clips it, I'm not worried Uh, about it. I've got the hot take. But no, I think think that game will be pretty interesting, right? The Palmetto Bowl should always never disappoint. Should never disappoint. Yeah. Um, Especially if – no, obviously, listen, I think you'll have to get the the run support, right? That's going to matter. They, they've got some good running backs. <laughs> and even then, you've got Kate Klubnick that can run, too. So you have to be able to stop the run. And ultimately, if 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 South Carolina is not able to stop the run or has a hard time trying to stop it and have to allocate more bodies, it's over. I, even, even, with their, even, if, even if Clemson's receivers aren't necessarily, like, scary like they used to be, right? Like, you, you remember, you have Watkins and then Hopkins – it's not like those guys or Justin Ross. It's not none of those guys, but they're still not bad either, yeah. right? And Klubnik, Klubnik, Klubnik's going to be a good quarterback, regardless whether you hate him or love him. I'm just going to leave that there. But, well, you know, I'm pull the grab. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to say, Rob, to your point again, that, you know, you make the point about the running game, what South going to do. And again, I talk a lot about line of scrimmage offensively, defensively. If I had to go with something else, because that's very low-hanging fruit, very obvious when you look at the statistics, I said it this time last year, I think it more so, even more so applies going into 2023. Bottom line, this South Carolina football team will go as far as seven takes them. It's all on Spencer Rattler, man. Especially when, you know, you asked about the pressures earlier and stuff like that. You know you're not going to have much of a running game. You know know you're going to have to lean on seven. There's going, to be, there's going to have to be a couple of games this year, multiple probably, where Spencer Rattler takes it upon himself. You know what? I got to put the team in my back. I got to have a special performance, lead us to victory. If South Carolina is going to reach their full potential, let's say match last year's win total, that's going to have to happen again. I'm not saying Tennessee were throw for 430, six touchdowns, whatever, but he's going to have to have some performances where it is very obvious and evident that, you know what, Spencer Rattler – he has taken it upon himself to lead his football team to victory. He's a guy that can impact his team in that way. And so I think a key for South Carolina this year, it all comes down to seven. So I want to kind of wrap things up here. So overall, what is what is your prediction? What is your final regular season record if you had to stamp it? Now, I know you're probably going to do something for your show, uh, but if you had to do something somewhat Somewhat firm, yeah. right? Somewhat soft stamp. What would you say? Yeah, so Rob, I, I actually locked it in, you know, beginning of July, actually. I, okay. I did that right before SEC many days. I'm at 7-5, and 4-4 and four in SEC play. I've got the Gamecocks falling to, let's see if I can recall it, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee, 
Texas A&M, and Clemson. I've got to lose those, those five games. But, again, four and four in SEC play. Uh, I got to come out of the gate beating North Carolina. Again, I've got the Mississippi State upset after the Georgia game. I, I think it's going to be, Rob, a very typical South Carolina season, what we've seen the first couple of years. Everyone says we're looking for consistency. Where's the consistency? And I agree. But when you have the question marks the Gamecocks do on the line of scrimmage, I think that actually leads, Rob, to inconsistency because you get in certain matchups where it's favorable or not favorable, and when you get pushed around and bullied, you get some of those wild results. And, of course, when you have a quarterback like Spencer Rattler, who's so Jekyll and Hyde with his performances, you never know what you're going to get. So I think it's going to be kind of that typical up-and-down South Carolina year where, you know, the Gamecocks, because of their culture, you know, I think they're going to win a couple of games people don't expect going on the road to Mizzou and winning that one, uh, you know, taking down Kentucky late in the season as well and finishing the season strong, what have you. But 7-5, and five, Rob, when you factor in the question marks this football team has, and I think, Rob, last year's team was actually better than this year's team. And this year's team has a harder schedule. So that being said, and I picked 8-4 and four last year, I'm going with 7-5. Seven 7-5 and five. Seven and five feels like the right pick for this group when you factor in, just simply put, all the question marks they have entering the season. I want to I want to do mine real fast. So I'm going to pull the graphic back up here and kind of walk through it. So I got North Carolina. I'm going to give you the dub here. I know Drake may, but I'm just going to leave that there. They have no fucking defense. Furman, that's a dub. Georgia, loss. Mississippi State, I'm going to give you the dub on that one. Tennessee, as much as I'd love to see him have a night to, like, again, I think Tennessee gets you this time. So either way, going into the bye week, I see you at three and one, right? Or no, sorry, three and two. Excuse me, three and two. You handle Florida this year. You get revenge. You don't get shut. Like you don't get blown out by Florida. Sorry, Florida is trash. It's Gator garbage. So that's there's your four. I think you beat Missouri. So that's five. You lose to A and M. I think you. I think you knock off a, a streak here. You go Jacksonville State or yeah, Jacksonville State. Vanderbilt and Kentucky and lose to Clemson. So I got you at like uh eight and four. Which I think is very doable. I, I think eight and four is is very doable for this Gamecocks football team. And it wouldn't surprise me, Rob, they got back there. Again, when you just factor in the fact that, you know, Shane Beamer loves being doubted at the over under six and a half in Vegas yet again. They love being doubted. They overachieve at every turn. Would not surprise me if they did that yet again. I mean, I think it, I think you're setting up for another successful season. I think if, obviously, listen, uh, I understand if South Carolina fans are listening to this, you're, it's coming from a Georgia fan, so please take it how you will. Just be patient, right? I know people look at year three as the, the make-or-break year, but you know, when you look at your recruiting as well, you know, in the, especially the 24 cycle we brought in, 23, helps on the way. You just got to be patient. You know, you look at the offensive line help, it's being addressed in a huge way for what it's worth, right? You got Cam Pringle, right? That's probably the cornerstone of your offensive line. And that's the biggest question mark there too, right? So helps on the way, right? I mean, you think about it. I mean, you know this. It's one of these things where you're you're stuck. Well, now, 2024 things, all bets are off at this point. All shit's going to look different. Like, you know, you don't have to necessarily play Georgia, right, every year. You know, so it's going to be vastly different. So things are going to change in a, in a good way good way or bad way. Final question before we wrap this thing up. How do you feel about the 24 with the 
divisionless. I think it's cool. I mean, I, I will say this: not having Georgia, Tennessee, or Florida in the schedule is is it's strange, right? The first time since 1991 we haven't seen those teams on the schedule, and it's I know we're going away from divisions, but it feels very SEC West heavy when you see the Gamecocks play teams like Texas A&M, of course, who they play every year, but Ole Miss, LSU. Um, you know, and I, and I believe there's one more in there that I'm forgetting, of course. But, you know, the trip to Norman stands out. That's really cool. The trip to Alabama, that's another one, of course. Uh, that, that's a lot of fun. So, I mean, it's one of those things, man. I, I'm glad that Texas and Oklahoma are in the league. As someone certainly that makes content around it, I cannot wait to talk about Texas and Oklahoma. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird not having Georgia every single year. Yeah, horns down, exactly. But it's weird not having Georgia, not having Tennessee, not having Florida every single year. And it – it puts even more emphasis on those matchups this season, for sure. I mean, it, we you bring up Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, is it? Did I do it right? Yeah, just horns <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah. You know, who you know, they can get salty all they want, but whatever. But no, man. So obviously, I think you know, there's a lot to take away, right, from you know the key additions, the departures, things like that, and like. Obviously, a lot of Georgia fans are going to look at Week Three, and and that's that might be it, but. We, we learned this last year, right, there, with, with these kind of a preview situations here. There's a lot of names to get brought up that stick out to you. You know what I mean? Uh, it happened in 2021, right? Um, so I love doing these kind of things because you, you do understand your opponent. It matters, right? If, if, you're, if you're a real one, you do the research, you understand your opponent, you find the deficiencies, the efficiencies, and you just go from there. So if you're listening, watching, this is why we do what we do, Right? Chris, I want to – well, hold on. Let's see here. So, Mitch Alday throws a good stat here. to see how this goes. Gamecocks currently have five of the top seven players from South Carolina committed. Clemson has none. It, it is it is weird how – you know, and I understand Clemson's committed to recruiting nationally in a national brand, but, you know, you, you want to lock down the state. Man. I mean, there's still good football players in the state of South Carolina, and I think, again, it's a testament what Mitch brings up, a testament to Shane Beamer – his coaching staff, they put a great importance on recruiting the state. South Carolina is utilizing NIL. Uh, also, beating the Clemson Tigers, I think, certainly helps those recruiting efforts. So, yeah, the Gamecocks are making recruiting the state a priority. They're also, of course, going out and about, going to different regions, as is evidenced by going to the DMV and dominating that area. But, you know, locking down the state, keeping your best guys home is important. And, I mean, Shane Beamer's doing as well a job as I, I think anybody has ever done at doing that. Yeah, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to say this, but when you look at when you look at what Cle, what Clemson's doing, they are hitting up Georgia pretty hard. So keep that yeah. keep that in mind. I'm not just going to leave that there. But I think that's a good comment to wrap up on. Uh Chris, for for those that are that might be interested want to follow your content, man, how can they how can people that are listening or watching uh follow you? And and tell me about the Spurs Up show, man. Yeah, man. So the Spurs Up show, I'm Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up show, we're a Gamecocks entity. Uh, all-encompassing podcast, live show, merchandise, social media, events. You name it, we do it practically. We're on Twitter or X, however you want to call it. We're at the Spurs Up Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, wherever you get content. We also air a daily live show called The Daily Crow, which airs noon to 3 uh, Eastern time, Monday through Friday. We take questions, comments, calls. So you want to call in, talk ball, chat, whatever, talk some crap, you can do so Monday through Friday, noon to 3. Uh, and the podcast drops daily under the name The Spurs Up Show, of course. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts as well. And during the football season, Rob, 
we'll actually be adding a new piece of content. The Spurs Up show post-game call-in show after every single game will go live. Similar format to how we do the Daily Crow, but will go live. And it'll be nothing but calls, comments, what have you, immediately following the conclusion of every South Carolina football game. Cannot wait, man. The content's going to be bleeding out the eyeballs. Should be a great time, and uh, appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. So, obviously, that is all we have for tonight. Uh, listen, if you're watching, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, do all, do all that stuff. It's all free. Uh, if you're listening, hey, leave us a review. All right? Apple Podcast, Spotify. Uh, I'm going to call it a night here, man. Uh, with that being said, oh, yeah. Hey, Robbie, by the way, Zaxby's is mid. <laughs> I hope you have a good one. The, 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 y'all know. The, yeah. the Spurs real, one, show, real the, ones know. Yeah. If, you're know. In the, if, you, if you watch TDC, you know. Clip it and send it to you. Send it to We got to do that. got to do I that. I love it. I love it. Uh, with that being said, though, have a great night. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on. It's a pleasure, my man. And with that being said, have a great day. We'll catch y'all Wednesday. And go dogs. have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.